Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello once again. It's Mike. Old religion dystopia. It's allegedly May the 18th, 2017. Doing part 13 of uh, a guide to the Phantom Dark Age. Oh, hopefully, it won't be too much background noise. Apologize for recording. Was it 11? One of them, it sounds like I'm outdoors the whole time. Oh, well, people are willing to. Listen to crap with people walking around the woods. Uh, I guess they can listen to my crap. Reconstructing the seventh century. A Guide to the Phantom Dark Age by Emmett Scott. Well, by the way, my son graduated today. He had graduation from preschool. Uh, he used to go more further indoctrination and being taught half truths. But oh well, what can you do about it? It's the world we live in. I don't have any control over it. So, well, I'm his father, and I have most of the time. I don't have, quote unquote, legal custody of because the state of Ohio favors mother, and um, yeah, she gets five hundred seventy-five bucks a month, and I get the majority of the week. She gets to make the calls, and I don't. At this point, after five and almost six, she should still be six in August. Uh, much I can do about it. But as far I guess the one good thing is it held him back a year. Did the best I, I could so far, or that I can so far as being a father. And uh, I would have to say I'm not very impressed with who I am as a father, but I do the best I can. Uh, in many ways, I'm much better than my own father. Yeah. Seventh century Renaissance. It is impossible to overstate the impact of Illich's system on our view of Europe's history. For one thing, the elimination of the Dark Age centuries from the calendar means that also the elimination of the Dark Age as a cultural epoch. If Illich is right, Far from singling the commencement of the Dark Age, 
the seventh century actually was the beginning of the most dramatic expansion, growth, and technological change of the West had ever experienced. Historians have long recognized that the great wave of new technologies and ideas, most coming from the Far East, which transformed Europe in the Middle Ages, is strangely divided into two separate phases, one beginning in the 6th and early 7th century, and the other beginning in the latter 10th century. The earlier phase of the this phenomenon saw in the 6th century the introduction to Europe of silk production and the stirrup. The latter technology revolutionized warfare and arrived in West at roughly the same time as the secrets of silk via the good offices of, uh, of the uh, Avars. It seems that double-mast ships able to sail into the wind likewise made their first appearance in the Byzantine waters from the end of the 6th century. We know that during the 6th century, the Byzantines and even the Western Europeans were also active innovators in their own right. The mold board plow, which enabled the inhabitants of temperate Europe to break the heavy, damp soil of their of those regions and spread rapidly throughout the 5th and 6th century. The horseshoe may have appeared at this time too, and Byzantium natural philosophers made important advancement, advances in a whole host of technical and the, uh, theoretical fields of knowledge. Astro the astronomical clock, clocks using advanced cog wheel systems were created and important advances were made in the field of medical science and astronomy. According to Professor Samuel Sambersky, the researches of the Byzantine scholars of the 6th century were anticipating in many ways the discoveries of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. By the 6th century, he shows Neoplatonic philosophers were constructing complex machines using cogs and wheel technology, as well as making important discoveries about the natural world. Even music was revolutionized at this time, and the appearance of the violin, and perhaps also the bagpipe. And Byzantium instruments were solved, which solved problems of tonal discontinuity. Then, according to the conventional ideas, came three centuries of dark and darkness and depopulation, after which the torch of technolo technological and scientific innovation was again taken up by people of the West. As we saw, attempts to explain this depopulation and darkness 
as a consequence, a consequence of natural catastrophe and human action have proved unsatisfactory. It is true, of course, as Henry Perini points out, that the arrival of the Arabs or the Islamicized, Islamicized Persians and Arabs on the scene in the second decade of the 7th century undoubtedly caused much disruption and put a damper on things for a while. It was, without question, the Arab-slash-Persian conquests which reduced the great Roman cities in the Middle East and North Africa to ruins and which left their hitherlands barren deserts. The serfs and slaves raiding along the southern shores of Europe likewise forced an abrupt abandonment of old Roman settlement patterns while their scattered and undefended villas excuse me, with their scattered and undefended villas. Archaeology shows that in the second and third decade of the seventh century population moved quickly to defend hilltops. <clears throat> the first medieval castles and Arab piracy closed the Mediterranean to trade, except of course the slave trade conducted by the Arabs themselves. The flow of papyrus essentially for essential for a literate and urban civilization was terminated. Perini was absolutely right to state that the seventh century was or excuse me, saw Europe thrown back on her own resources and cut off from the found, uh, fountains of high civilization to the east. But this did not, as Perini uh, imagined, produce the Dark Age. Some of the most refined features of classical Roman civilization, it is true, disappeared. Termination of the Mediterranean trade meant that many luxuries, such as spices and wines, became unavailable in Europe. The burgeoning uh, Merovingian glass industry declined died as the high quality of soda from the east from eastern Mediterranean necessary for the production of fine glass became unavailable. But it is wrong to imagine that every feature of the class of classical civilization disappeared or that Europe entered anything resembling a dark age. Thrown onto its own resources, the native inventiveness of the continent's inhabitants now came into its own as local substitutes for things previously imported were sought and found. Furthermore, the flow of new ideas from the Far East from India and China, which had commenced in the 6th century, did not grind to a halt. In spite of the Arab piracy, some of the new ideas may thereby have been delayed but they were not canceled. When the flow of new technologies and ideas to the West is, is resumed in the conventional 10th century, they arrive via a 
via the filter of the Arabs. But as we saw earlier, even this had created an enormous problem for conventional scholarship. Why is it? Why has it been asked? Did the culture, cultural and ideological impact of Islam and, Arab, and the Arabs make itself felt in Europe only in the 10th and 11th centuries, whereas it should have ex been expected in the 7th? With the Dark Age centuries removed, however, everything makes sense. The arrival in the West through the Islamicide Middle East and the paper-making Arabic numerals, uh, windmills, and a host of other revolutionary technologies would not have would not then have occurred in the 10th century as per convention, but in the second half of the 7th. Illich's system thus reveals that the Europeans were not at all slow learners. They adopted new ideas and technologies from the Arabs very quickly indeed. It is true, as Paridi points out, that the Arabs did not bequeath these things to the European uh, voluntarily. And it is equally true that their raiding and pillaging may have slightly impeded and delayed the introduction to Europe of some of them. But the delay was short. A new technology or idea can be transmitted to another society by a single individual. It does not need regular trade and economic contact. Such contact in a limited way in the form of slave trade did actually exist. But even if it hadn't, the new technologies would have reached Europe and done so with great speed. We know that the Jewish refugees from the Muslim conquests brought several crucial innovations to Europe, and amongst them, apparently, Arabic numerals. With the dark centuries removed, we now, we now find that, that during the 7th century population, which had begun to re revive with Christianization of the continents in the 5th and 6th centuries, continued to expand. The long centuries of demographic decline, which characterized pagan Roman and Greece, can to an came to an end following the biblical injunction to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The Christians and the Jewish cousins alone enjoyed natural increasing populations during the second to fifth centuries. The revival came first in the East, which had become Christianized first. The great cities of the Byzantine Empire of the 5th and 6th centuries surpassed in size and opulence anything seen under the Caesars. The West was Christianized later, but when it was, the impact was the same as in the East. Spain, the earliest region of the West to become Christian, uh, Christian 
was also the first to enjoy a natural increase in population and increase in a discernible an increase discernible under the Visigoths during the fifth and sixth centuries. The population of Gaul also began began to grow again for the first time in four centuries. The revival in Britain and Germany began somewhat later as they were converted to Christianity later. But from the 6th and early 7th centuries, the population of both regions began to expand. This was the picture when Islam burst upon the scene in the early 7th century. The closing of the Mediterranean to the normal trade after the timing clearly certainly put a damper on the European revival. For a few decades, anyhow, the educated laity, which characterized antiquity, I guess that's my browser. I don't think I browsed right, though. Antiquate Roman civilization disappeared along with the liberty libraries and papyrus upon which the works of the Greek and Roman authors were written. There was a certain degree of cultural impoverishment. The church became almost the sole custodian of the intellectual legacy of Greece and Rome. Yet this dim period which must have endured for several decades, was by no means anything like the Dark Age envisioned by historians for over a thousand years. Towns continued to expand after the centuries of contraction under the Romans, and new commercial centers were developed as the economic center center of gravity in Europe shifted from the Mediterranean towards the north. Historians are are agreed that a major revival of towns began in the later 10th century, which is, of course, an ill system, the latter 7th. Some of these were located around the ecclesiastical foundations and the church became the major engine of this revival, a revival which saw the reestablishment of the Western Roman Empire, though now under German leadership. Otto I, crowning wood under new chronology, have occurred in 662, not 962, and would have been directly inspired by the collapse of the Byzantine power, and therefore Constantinople's claim in the West in the face of the Arab onslaught, reconnecting the strands. In theory, bridging the gap between the two real historical epochs, the 7th and 10th centuries, should be simple enough. We might expect a straightforward continuation of events and characters from the August of 614 through through to September 911. There it shows up again. 
in Illig's estimate and beyond. This has generally been the case with the ancient pre-Christian histories of Egypt and Mesopotamia, whose chronologies have been examined by various researchers over the past few decades. However, with the medieval Dark Age, things are not so simple. As Illich himself has emphasized, the mistakes uh, in pre-Christian history were largely though not entirely accidental. So in general, there should be a straightforward progression of events once the, quote, dark ages, end quote, are removed. With the medieval dark age, there seems to have been a concerted effort on the part of the church and imperial authorities to provide a history for the three non-existent centuries. The result, as we saw in Chapter 3, was the proliferation of forged chronicles and documents of every kind, most of which were created in German and French monasteries between the 11th and 14th centuries. These forgeries, which covered the three dark centuries and reached well into the real time of the 10th century, were produced by some extremely erudite men and often, as we have noted, use real characters and events with which to fill out the non-existent time. Ellig's take on this question is rather different. He tends to assume that all the characters and events between 614 and 911 are entirely fictitious. It is evident that this cannot be the case. There is no question, for example, that the Persian conquest or the Persian conquest of Egypt in 619 and 620 really occurred, and there seems little reason to doubt that it occurred pretty much as the surviving account claims. Indeed, the say, uh, I never can say this. The Sassanids, the Sassanids invasion of e- Egypt is probably the last major action of the seventh century, which we can be reasonably sure occurred when it said it said to have occurred. As such, 620 would probably be a better date than 614 as a marker for the commencement of the phantom time frame. Such being the case, we might be tempted to expect everything between 620 the 920 to be fictitious, but again, things are not quite so simple. We have seen, for example, that, the, that in Persia, there is abundant evidence for the existence not only of Khosrow II, but his successors right up to Yazdur. Uh, 
Okay, yeah, I think that might be misspelled. Yes, the Gerd the Third, and there is clear proof that the early uh, Um Mayad Caliphs and from Mu A Waya <laughs> Waya or Waya right through to Al Walid were real people who have left substantial archaeological proof of their existence. Thus, the phantom time, in quotes, period, cannot be commenced in the Persian and Arab world until near the end of the 7th century. Though, on the other hand, events of the early 7th century and even the late 6th such as the life of Muhammad and the conquest of the rightly guided caliphs Abu Bark or Bark uh, I guess it's Abu Bark uh, and Omar are rival revealed to be typically fictitious inventions of the phantom dark age the things are and things are now less complicated in the west archaeological finds confirmed that the Frankish lands of the reign of Clothier the second a contemporary of Hercules was a period of time of some prosperity and expansion and there seems little reason to doubt that he reigned until 629, as is written in histories maintained. Furthermore, there are good grounds for believing that his son, uh, Dagobart I, who is said to have reigned until 634, was a real enough person. Thus, the Merovingian territories, we might be tempted to commence the period of phantom time which the death of Dagofart the first and the pronouncement of everything after that date as fictitious again however things are not quite so simple there are good grounds for believing that several of the Frankish rulers placed in the 8th and 9th centuries were historical characters we see the same problem in England, and here archaeological evidence confirms the existence of well-known of, the, of well-known Dark Age characters such as Ofa of Mercia and Alfred of Alfred the Great. Both these latter must have been contemporaneous with the Vikings whose raids we have seen can only have commenced around 640, that Offa is said to have predated the Vikings, though he's, he copied the design of, of evident, evidently Viking-supplied Islamic gold coins, and the spectacular proof is a spectacular proof of the absurdity of accepted chronology. It is evident then that in our attempts to 
untie the uh, gourd beyond knot of 7th slash 8th century history, we must proceed with extreme caution. Some outstanding character to emerge from the pages of the Dark Age Chronicles is, of course, Charlemagne. And Illig has gone to great lengths to illustrate that he is an entirely mythical being in his Das Erfandine Mittel Alter. He has demonstrated in detail with virtually all the archaeological structures attributed to his life, or excuse me, to his time, most especially the chapel of Achin, reveal themselves to be, on closer inspection, monuments of the 11th century. Illig, as we saw in chapter 3, has emphasized that the whole cult of, the, of Charles the Great was a creation of Ottonian emperors in the 10th century, and he has argued that the great emperor is nothing but a creation of Ottonian scribes called to life for propaganda purposes, the chief one of which was to provide a precedent for a German monarch donning imperial purple of the Roman emperor. As we saw earlier, however, there is every likelihood that the historical Charlemagne was based upon an actual Germanic king of the 5th and 6th century, and there are one or two very likely candidates. Gunder Heinschons, as well as H.E. Kurth, and several others have stressed parallels between the great Ostrogothic king Theodoric, who ruled in the whole of Italy, as well as parts of Gaul and southern Germany during his during the late fifth and early sixth centuries, and Charlemagne. There is no question that Theodoric was the figure of immense importance in his time and could easily be seen as a worthy candidate for the prototype German emperor. He entered Teutonic legend as King Dietrich Dietrich, and medieval German tradition attributed to him a series of wholly fabulous achievements. That said, he, his actual deeds were not unimpressive, and there seems little doubt that the figure of Charlemagne was at least partly based upon him. However, Theodoric was not a Frank, but an Ostrogoth, whereas Charlemagne was very definitely the king of the Franks. Such being the case, it seems likely that the persona of Charlemagne was mainly based on the Frankish king Theodebert, Theodebert I, whose assistance with Emperor Justinian sought against 
the Ostrogoths during the the Italian Wars of five fifties. We know that after the defeat of the Ostrogoths, Justinian's forces came into conflict with the Frankish allies. Theodebert I successfully made war against the Byzantines for several years and seemed to revel in his newfound power and prestige. A rumor even spread in Constantinople that he intended to invade Thrace. Symbolic of his prestige, he then took an unprecedented step in issuing coins bearing his own image and action bewailed by the Byzantine historian Pork Cupius. Pork Procopius, who saw in its a presage, presage to the final presage, excuse me, to a presage, he saw in a presage in the final breakup of the Roman Empire. It is highly unlikely this great warrior who minted coins of himself dressed as the Roman Emperor was none other than Theodebert I. He, too, like Charlemagne, admired the Ottonians, was a Frank, and preceded Otto I, if Illig is right, just over a century, as did Charlemagne, according to conventional dating. From all of this, it is clear that the real history of the 7th, 7th or conventional 10th century is as yet a closed book. And he attempts to open and read the pages of that book will need to be made with extreme care. However, alongside the plethora of histories and chronicles which already exist in the 7th and 10th centuries, which undoubtedly contains some real history. We also have some new and powerful body of evidence not available to previous generations, that of archaeology. I hope in the pages to follow to utilize both types of evidence and try to find... and try to find where possible the coming together of the two. Before beginning, however, we need to outline a few general principles and guidelines. First and foremost, as we noted earlier, even as things stand, there is surprising agreement in general terms between the histories of the 7th and 10th centuries. Thus, the early 7th century Italy found herself under the domination of the, of the Langobards, a tribe of Germanic barbarians which had arrived in the peninsula in the late 6th century. Whilst in the early 10th century, Italy found herself controlled by the supposed descendants of the Langobards, who now appear under the name Lombards. The Lagobards had been pushed westward into Italy by the nomadic people of the steppes named the Avars, 
speakers of the Ural um, Altaic dialect apparently related to the language of the Huns. By the early 7th century, of the Avars ensconced the Hungarian plain, where, where making raids deep into the territories of the Franks, then ruled by the Merovingian kings. In the same way, by the early 10th century, another tribe of Ural-Atalic speakers, the Magyards, were stationed in the Hungarian plain and from there making raids deep into the territories of the Franks, this time ruled by the so-called Carolingian kings. This alone would suggest that the Magyars and the Avars were one and the same people and would finally make sense of the strong tradition among the Hungarians that they are descendants of, or at least relatives of, the Huns. Conventional scholarship, of course, has always viewed this claim with extreme skepticism due to the long stretch of time supposedly separating this arrival in the west of the Magyars from the arrival of the Huns and the Avars. And whilst, this, whilst on this topic, we should note that the removal of three Dark Age centuries also cast new light on the history of the Magyars' neighbors, the R Romanians. Historians have long struggled to find a, a material connection between the Latin-speaking population of Rome, Dacia, and the medieval Velix, whose Latin-based language is strikingly similar to modern Italian. In conventional terms, a huge stretch of time separates the last Roman colony of Dacia or Dacia, uh, abandoned in the third century from the first appearance of the Romanian speaking Velix in the 11th century. If, however, the 11th century is really the 8th century, then the span of time between Rome and Dacia, I think it's called Dacia, and the medieval Velix. Uh, is not too great. Indeed, since the lands of the immediate south of Asia, ancient Macia, <clears throat> modern Bulgaria, were parts of the Roman Empire until the latter 6th century, and then the survival of Latin-speaking populations throughout the whole Balkans region into the medieval age, the 7th and eight centuries becomes perfectly logical and the advance of the Avars and Slavs into Macia shortly after 600 came, all, uh, came only have caused excuse me, can only have caused massive disruption 
to the Latin-speaking farmers and townsfolks of the region, great numbers of whom seem to have sought refuge in wooded and mountainous terrain. The Transylvanian uh, hills were then, as now, relatively remote and inaccessible and would have offered an ideal retreat for the uprooted and terrified Romans. Other mountainous parts of the Balkans also received Latin-speaking refugees, evidence of which is found in the small Valak or Romanian-speaking populations of Bulgaria, Serbia, and Greece, which survive to this day. It was Otto who broke the power of Magyars at the Battle of Lechfield, the same Otto I who proclaimed himself Emperor of the West in 955. In reality, 655, according to the revised chronology, but if Otto I actually reigned in the first half of the 7th century, this would imply that he was a scission of the Frankish uh, Merovingian dynasty. Such being the case, it is clear that the Frankish Carolinians of the 10th century must have, must be I, identical in some way or other with the Merovingians of the 7th. <clears throat> that looks like that might be a good time to, to quit, although I don't know how long this recording is. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I swear I'll quit for this recording. Plug it along. It's not a lot of pages, but the beach, the pages are, are, have, you know, a lot of words on each page. So, yeah, my son graduated from elementary school. Yay! Uh, it was very touching seeing the, their teacher cry and He's gonna miss them and all that kind of stuff. So proud of my son. It's awkward because you know it was just me. It was there on my, on my side of the family. Uh, no one else would have been there anyways. It would have mattered. So it's always it's always I got I come from the most fragmented dysfunctional family there ever was. But um, yeah, and then his mom's. Side, sure, sure. She and her, uh, her daughter and all the son, and chasing the animal there. So, and since they ostracized me and kicked me out of um, any kind of being part of their lives outside of babysitting, chase. <laughs> you know, I got to watch the graduation part of things, and I, I got a chance to uh, you know, get a hug from him. And get, as he walked down the aisle, I, I, I you know, high five, and uh, yeah, that's it. What can you do? There's no point in trying to appease people 
after years of trying to just you know they realized that they and their sick mind had demonized me and um there's nothing that's going to change you know the best thing to do is just uh just be who i am michael the hermit adams I am the hermit. My God, if there ever was a hermit, you're listening to him now. Anyways. Maybe we can get another reading up today. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like we've got about 40 more pages to go, which means at least two to three, at least three more readings. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.